the Gospel of Mark. And uh, actually, the truth of it is, when we started up, uh, we've had a little uh, time there where we talked about uh, the denominational emphasis on grace. Uh, when we were in Lent, we moved ahead in Mark. And so now what we've done is we've backed up where we left off uh, at Christmas time and that. And so we're picking it back up. So the truth of it is, in this year, we will have finished together the Gospel of Mark. And so that's quite a, a feat to be able to do together. Um, and we know that a lot of it is very, very familiar to us, isn't it? It's stuff that we've heard as children in Sunday school and, and uh, gospel stories. And so it's, it's just important for us to uh, realize uh, that there's things that all of us can glean from these familiar passages. And I believe that. And God's been helping us the last couple weeks, uh, especially, to really uh, go in deep and, and look at some of the things. And this message today is a very practical message. There's a lot of practical help and things that we can learn uh, from this today. Pastor Mike uh, put that video on the beginning for us with the scripture and then that beautiful song. And, uh, you know, already setting and the segue into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, now, I don't know why when we were young, now these, these ones that are young now will say, what are you talking about, Pastor Betty? Uh, I don't know why we had nursery rhymes. Some of them were pretty bad when you think about it. And we had to memorize them. Like that was part of our schooling, right? Was we had to memorize a nursery rhyme. And I was thinking about old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to give the poor dog a bone. And when she came there, the cupboard was bare. And so the poor dog had none. <laughs> and, and so I was thinking of that, you know, the cupboard's bare. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to a point in your life where there's not been something in the cupboard or there's been very little in the cupboard? I know people have talked. Uh, I remember my stepfather talking about what it was like to be here on the island in the Great Depression and, and some of these visual memories that he had as he would share that. There were times, I remember studying in Newfoundland, uh, the times of poverty, looking at children and families, especially as, as Tina and I traveled up to St. Anthony's and, and looking there and seeing the <clears throat> terrible poverty that families went through. And there comes a point in time, and even still today, around the globe, there will be those individuals who go to a cupboard, and it's bare. There's nothing there. But I also wanted to think about us in the fact that in ourselves, we go to the cupboard, and often we feel bare, right? Uh, often we, we look at our situations, and our situations seem impossible. There are times when we look at our own giftings, and we look at ourselves, and we say, there's nothing I can do about this. This problem is so big. I feel inadequate for the task. I feel inadequate for the task that God has for me. God's been nudging me. God's been speaking to me. But oh no, I couldn't do that because it can't be me that God would want to use because I really don't have a whole lot <clears throat> to give. Pastor Betty, my cupboard is bare. <laughs> There's not a whole lot when you open that cupboard. I, I can't sing like other people sing. I, I can't play like other people play. I can't preach like you preach. I, I can't. There's, there, my cupboard's bare, Pastor Betty, so there's not a whole lot I can do. We see today that this is one of the greatest miracles. Don't know why that's doing that again. It freezes every once in a while. 
Uh, this is one of the greatest miracles of the Bible. The reason why we know that, it is in all four Gospels. All four Gospels have recorded this. They were eyewitnesses to this. Now, we know Mark wasn't there, but we believe that Mark uh, was following Peter's telling of the story. And so Peter was an eyewitness, and Mark is recording it. And, and so all four Gospels felt this was so important and one of the greatest miracles that they had ever witnessed that they put it in all four Gospels. Now, just imagine tonight, 5,000 hungry men show up uninvited, and they decide they're going to stay for supper. What would you do? Not 50, not five, 5,000. <laughs> 5,000 showed up for supper. And you got nothing, the cupboard's bare, you got nothing to feed them. And, and you know, even if you went to order 5,000 pizzas, I don't even know how long it would take to make 5,000 pizzas to feed 5,000 men, but the truth of it is, it would take you, as, as we're told in this story, about half a year's wages to feed them one meal. Half a year's wages. But see, the truth of it is, is we've been looking at King Jesus and the kingdom of God. What Mark is wanting to do here is Mark is wanting to give us a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. We pray, we were told to pray, what? Give us this day our daily bread. And so he's giving us this little glimpse that in the kingdom of God, God is able to do amazing things and provide for us. And so he's giving you this glimpse, just like on the darkest night, you see a, 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 a strike of lightning hit, and it lights the, the night sky for just a moment. Mark is showing us all throughout this gospel, let me show you what the kingdom of God looks like, what we are walking towards and waiting for. And so there's five things today that I think practical things we can learn from this passage. One of the beautiful things of this passage is Jesus moves with compassion. You know, I, that's why I started with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. God is a God of compassion. We have what we have today because God is so compassionate towards us. And, and so there they are, the disciples. They've come back to give report. Look what God has done through us. Jesus, let us tell you. You sent us out. You anointed us. You blessed us. And we did amazing things. We did amazing things, Jesus. Let us tell you what we did. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like us sometimes? <laughs> and, and so they're all excited. Now, now think about it. The 12 went out in pairs, right? So six, six directions. God is moving through them. Jesus has been doing what he does. And so now word is out and the crowd is coming. And now they're coming and the needs are so great. We're told in this passage that the disciples have been so busy they haven't even had time to eat. That's a good problem to have. But they're exhausted. They're tired. And, and they're really starting to feel that. And so Jesus, we're told, has compassion on his disciples. He looks at them and he says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now here's a sidebar, nothing to do with the message. When you think vacation is just getting away, you've missed it. Because vacation, really to come back, is that you need to spend time with the Lord away. He needs to call you away. It's not just being, taking a week or two and doing some fun things. It needs to be also, that's great, change of pace, different location, different, you know, whatever you need to do. But you also need the, those times of refreshing that only God can give. 
That's what I pray for people when they vacation. That's what I pray for you, Marvin and Jane, this week and others that are vacationing. That's what I pray for myself, is it's times of refreshing with the Lord. And so, you know, it's beautiful. Well, you see the Lord's, the Lord's compassion here. And, and I love this passage. Pastor Mike actually referred to it as he prayed. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, very popular passage. But I want you to hear it in the message. And, and there's a phrase there that really stands out for me. Are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Do you believe that being, you can be burned out on good things? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Remember, that's about giving him our burdens, and he'll replace it with his yoke, which is easy and light. But I like what Eugene Peterson says there. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Unforced rhythms of grace. That is what he was wanting to do for his disciples. He's calling them compassionately away to that place. Mike Breen, I I had the opportunity to uh, hear him speak. He was a vicar from England and has wrote several books. But he taught something that really spoke to me about the Sabbath. And it's interesting, you know, Pastor Mike uh, prayed in that direction today. He said that we work from rest. We don't rest from work. That's profound. So you got you to need a little help. You get that? We work from rest. We don't rest from work. What he was saying is the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they were created was what? Rest with God. Worship God. Spend time with God. And then God empowered them to go out and do what he empowered them to do, to take care of creation, to take care of the animals. And so his premise is, for us that are now under Christ, for us that are part of his kingdom, and the way that God has set us up, there are natural rhythms in life that Eugene Peterson talks about. But Mike Breen says, the first thing you do every week is you come in and you worship the Lord and you rest in him. And from that place of centering and knowing who you are and knowing who he is, that now you go out to face your new week. Unlike Canadian culture, oh, praise God, it's Friday. I'm so exhausted. I, I, I'm just having, and I just can't wait to get a day off. And it ends up becoming like a, Uh, rat wheel (laughs) that we just keep running on, Mike Green says, no, 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 that's not for us as believers. We're now under the covenant of God, and as covenantal people, we spend our first day of the week with the Lord, and from there we go out to work. And so we work from a position, a place of rest. And so this is beautiful here as we see the compassion of Jesus caring for his disciples. And I believe the Lord cares for us in that way. When life has just been so busy, church has been so busy, things have been so busy, that we need to spend time with him and rest. So they get on the boat, and they're traveling across the sea, across the lake, actually. And uh, as they're there, the crowd starts spreading the word, and they're running around the lake, and they're, and they're picking up people as they go. So now the crowd's even larger. 
And so they get to the shore, and who's there? They've went off for retreat. They're off on vacation, and the whole church is there. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're, the, they're there, and, and the crowds, are. they beat them to it. And I can just see, can't you see the disciples' faces? Can't you see the frustration? Can't you see? How dare they interrupt our spiritual retreat with Jesus? And so we see that, you know, here they are, and I bet you they're very frustrated. I think of that new word you hear a lot in commercials, and they're hangry. Mark, you might know what hangry is. I don't know if you do. (laughs) Every now and again. So they're so hungry, they start getting miserable. (laughs) They start getting hangry. And so we see, though, Jesus doesn't think like they think. Jesus, even though he's interrupted, he has now compassion on the crowd. He has compassion on the people. And he looks out and he sees them because he's the great shepherd of the soul. He looks out and he sees them as what? Sheep without a shepherd. Remember now, John the Baptist has just been beheaded as we looked at last week. John was seen as this great spiritual prophet great man of God. He was the one who they had been waiting for 400 years, and they had heard nothing from God. They had heard no one speak, and John the Baptist comes, and he is this man of God. Now, he's been taken out. He's been beheaded, and they definitely didn't look to Herod as a great leader because he was Rome's puppet and an ungodly man, and so they're feeling very much like they are like sheep without a shepherd, no leader. And so Jesus now has compassion on them. You know, the Lord has compassion on you today. No matter what you're going through, what you're facing, he's never too busy. He always understands. He knows your grief that you're feeling today. He knows your frustrations. I love what Psalm 34, 18 says. He is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So we see the Lord shows compassion, but we also realize that Jesus is bigger than any problem that any of us would face. Disciples come to Jesus with this impossibility. I sense, I, you know, sometimes I'm reading into it, but I sense they are resentful now that they've spent the day and all these people are around and Jesus is teaching them and Jesus is having compassion on them. So now they see a reason to say to Jesus, you know what? Uh, it's getting late. Everybody's getting hungry. Jesus, send them away. (laughs) Just send them away. Send them away to get their own food. You know, we don't need to deal with this. We've had enough of this now. Now it's our turn. Let's go to the quiet, isolated place and send them away, Lord. (laughs) And so here we see in verse 37, what does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. I'm going to... I can just see the disciples' faces. It's like the 5,000 showed up for dinner, and we would say, you give them something to eat. You want me to do what? How can I do that? And as we already heard, we don't have that kind of money. You know, you sent us out with nothing. There's nothing. The pockets, it's not just the cupboards are bare. The pockets are bare. Lord, there's nothing. It would take a half a year's salary. We, We can't do this. But Jesus is encouraging the disciples to get their eyes off the problem and get their eyes where on him on the solution him that's the reality for all of us when we're facing difficulty and see there was a need somebody said and i think it's good you know we've spent a lot of time in the church and i think there is a place for this but just hear me out as i say this we spend so much time saying what's my calling what's my calling 
Pastor, I'm trying to figure out what my calling is. And that's good. I just have met people 10 years later saying, I'm just trying to find out my calling. What's my calling? (laughs) And others have said, and mission movements have said, the need is the call. The need is the call. The people are hungry. They need to be fed. And Jesus says to the disciples, you do something about it. What a message for us as the church of Jesus Christ. That there are people around us today that need the Savior. There are those around us who are hungry for the things of God. And Jesus would say the same to us as the church. There's a need. You go meet that need, church. That's what I'm asking you to do. See, the church, somebody said, was never meant to be a country club where all we do is entertain ourselves. We need to see the needs that are around us. We, we need to be willing to ask God to open up our eyes to see the needs in our community. Somebody said it this way, when, when the hungry come looking for a bite to eat, when the grieving come looking for understanding and reassurance, when the lost come looking for new direction, when the weak come looking for strength, when the resentful come looking for understanding, when the afraid come looking for courage, when the addicted come looking for freedom, when the hopeless come looking for hope, Jesus says to the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene, you give them something. You give them something. Because ultimately, we are the ones who have received. And because we have received, we are to give. And so Jesus is bigger than any need or problem we would face. But here's the beauty of this passage today. Jesus asks us to give him what we have. That's all he asks of us. I remember one time in Oakville, Church of the Nazarene, pastoring there, and Dr. Bill Stewart came up as our national director. And we spent a whole weekend as a church looking and planning with Dr. Stewart where we should be going next and, you know, all this that we were doing. And he ended that weekend together with him as the church board, and we looked through that. He said, do you know what? Whatever God is calling you to, you have everything you need. That was a profound statement. Whatever God is calling you to do, you have everything you need already. See, because we had looked for years, well, we don't have this, and we don't have that, and we don't have this, and we don't have that. And the street down the, the church down the street has this, and we don't have that. And, and so for years, we just sat there and looked at what we didn't have. And Dr. Stewart made that very, very profound statement for us as a church. What do you have, Jesus says to the disciples. Can you imagine? I just, see, I, just, I like to get my imagination going and visualize this. I hope you can. <laughs> so what do we have? What have you got? What have I got? I got nothing. My bo- no, what have you got? I don't know. And so imagine going through people, right? We know the other gospel tells us it was a young boy who gave up his lunch, right? Five loaves and two fish. But Mark doesn't tell us that. And, and, and so can you imagine now coming to Jesus with 5,000 hungry people and you've got uh, five buns. They say literally they were buns, and they were barley buns, so we know they were a poor man's lunch because they're barley, and barley was a poor man's grain, and two salted fish. That's it. (laughs) That's it. Five loaves and two fish. And they must have felt crazy. I think in some ways, when I preached it from the other passage, I think in some ways the young boy gave it because at least the master would eat. Right here, I give up my lunch for Jesus. I I can see that. Because it seems almost ludicrous to come before him 
with five loaves and two fish. But there's that statement, little is much when God in it. And see, I believe that Jesus tells us to do what we have with what we have. We always underestimate our resources. We always say we don't have enough. Uh, we can't do enough. We don't, have, we don't know enough. We're not smart enough. God doesn't, hasn't gifted me enough. We, we always look at, at our lack of resources. But you know the truth of it is, whenever God asks you to do something, you always have limited resources. Always. Because he always asks you to do something bigger and greater than who you are and what you have. Because that's where the miracle happens. That's where God wants to move. That we come to him and say, Lord, I don't have anything, but here I am. Use me. We see that all throughout Scripture. We won't take time today to go through all the different stories in Scripture. But that story is told over and over and over again in his word. We need to look at our limited people, limited money, time, or whatever resource, and invite Jesus into it and ask him to multiply it, even as a church. Jesus is the one who multiplies. What's our role? We're to give it to him. The disciples would learn a very important lesson here. Uh, I, I think about Peter, right, at that gate, and saying to the man, you know, gold and silver I have not, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's all we're ever asked to do to give what we have. And the beauty in this passage is somebody says, what God demands, God supplies. What God demands, he plans to supply. But the beauty here is the disciples, as crazy as this looked, they obeyed. They obeyed. They obeyed to go find what they had, and then even when they found what they had was so ridiculously small, they obeyed to bring it to Jesus. And that's all that God is asking for us today, is to be obedient. Then we see that as they bring it to Jesus, Jesus blesses it and multiplies what is given. We'll see that in the next uh, statement. He gives thanks. He blessed it, and he broke it. You know, sometimes I don't think we understand how important it is to thank God for our food. Right? Jesus models that here. This is why we do that. That's, this is why no matter what meal we sit down to, and we've become so affluent, we don't realize the importance of it anymore. But, but when your cupboard is bare, you pretty well would know why you give thanks for the food on the table. <clears throat> and so Jesus... The Son of God, God himself, takes the time to take this meager meal and he lifts it up to the Father, as we saw in the video, and he says, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful gift because we know that this comes from God. All of it is a blessing from God. And so he gives thanks and then he blesses it and as he blesses it and begins to break it, it just begins to multiply and multiply and multiply. Uh, it's interesting for us, we, uh, Tina, I think, has been involved, but because of COVID, is not still able to do it, uh, probably hopes to do it again, but we used to do it as a church. Pastor Mike was the director of a food bank. We've seen God multiply food. We've gone down with a meal for 50 or 60 and 85 have showed up, and somehow everybody ends up fed, has seconds, and they're all full. I don't know how that happens. I really don't. 
And, and so we've seen God be able to do that. With the meager means that we bring in somewhere, God can take it and multiply it and use it for the furthering of his kingdom. You guys remember the time, Sunday lunch, that there was always a big Sunday lunch on and there was always room for who? More to come in. More to come in. And, and you knew it was a little meager roast or it was just a few potatoes in the pot, but somehow people would sit at the table and have fellowship and they would find the food and everybody left satisfied. Because you opened your table and you opened your home to others and God was going to make a way and bless you. That's how God works. We may think that we have nothing to give Jesus or what we have to give seems so little. Our talents are so small. We, we, we wonder what he can do with it. And we're challenged in this passage today to say, give it to the Lord. Whatever you have, give it to the Lord. You know what's so beautiful in this passage? It is a precursor to what we'll see happen later when Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew 26, 26 says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. See, that is the picture of that crucified Lord, resurrected Lord, that we are now recipients of the greatest gift of all, salvation and wholeness and a past that's been redeemed and a future we look forward to, as we said in 10,000 Reasons, that song. It's because Christ was willing to give everything for us. And look at us now, the body of Christ, how we have multiplied. And so whatever you give to the Lord, God's going to multiply God is going to bless it. He's going to use it. And we see in this story, we are told that everyone was satisfied. Have you ever, ever been that way? Oh, I bet you on a lot of Sunday meals, you push yourself back. Are you ever satisfied, Mark? There comes a point, right? And you push yourself back from the table and you kind of rub that belly. You hope you have the elastic waistband on the pants. <laughs> And it's like, man, that was good. I enjoyed that. Do you realize that God wants you to enjoy life? That all of it has been given to you as a gift to enjoy? That's how much our Father loves us and cares for us and is compassionate towards us. And so it says here that when Jesus takes what you have and multiplies it, everyone is satisfied. Everyone is content. That's why I read Psalm 23. Notice that Mark tells you that they sat down on green grass. And see, we know in Psalm 23 that the sheep, what? They lie down, right? In green pastures. And so when does a sheep lie down? When does a cow lie down? You ever see a cow lie down? I've seen some horses in Shelton. They lie down and love the sun. They only do it when they're what? Satisfied. And so Mark is kind of showing us here that these people are sitting down on green grass and the good shepherd is beginning to feed them and here they are, satisfied. I hope you're satisfied today. I hope you know the contentment that he wants to give you, but it only happens when we give him what we have, as little as it might seem. And there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Pastor Mike, leftovers are biblical. Even if you don't like them. Leftovers are biblical. Even the crumbs are good. Hallelujah. 
See, what would happen was the disciples would carry, all of them would carry a basket bag, and, and they would carry that with them. One of the reasons why travelers would do that, they were so concerned about their food being clean and pure and kosher that they would carry their food with them so they weren't eating anything anywhere unclean that they didn't know about. And so here they've come with empty baskets, right? And yet at the end of this miracle, every one of them has their basket full. So here they were saying to Jesus, send them away, Lord. <laughs> we're hungry, we're hangry, because we we've been doing so much work, we haven't had time to eat. There's no food, the cupboards are bare. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, that as they were concerned for the needs of others, as they were caring for them, God was going to take care of them too. And so now they go on a retreat with Jesus, but their baskets are full. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added on to you. I like what Ephesians 3.20 says, He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. This little statement, limited resources plus Jesus equals more than enough. Did you hear that? Limited resources plus Jesus equals more than enough. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Someone did this little statement looking at uh, the, all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, looking at miracles, and they were saying, you know, there's, there's certain things, like a lot of us would say, I'd like a miracle. Anybody want a miracle today? I know I need a miracle. And, and they said, you know, well, biblically, when you look at miracles, now we have no right to demand anything of God, but they're just saying, now the four steps that they have seen, if you are wanting a miracle, this is what usually happens in those miracles that we've seen throughout Scripture. First of all, you have to admit a need. Now, some of you said, none of you put your hand up, hardly any, except for Mark over there, I think, to say he needs a miracle. I need a miracle. So you need to admit to God, that's, that's where the biggest struggle is for a lot of us is to swallow our pride and say, God, I need you to move, or I surrender this loved one, or I surrender this situation to you. I need you, Lord. We sing that song, Oh, How I Need You. And then after you admit your need, God's going to say to you, well, what do you have? Moses, what do you have? Well, Lord, all I have is this shepherd's staff. <laughs> and yet God was going to take that staff and use it powerfully. God's going to say to you, what do you have? And then he's going to say, whatever you have, give it to me. And uh, sometimes that's a battle for us because I know for us, some of us in life and ministry, God has asked you to give up something that's very, very dear to you, precious to you. And, and I know people who have come to an altar of prayer and they, they love to play the violin. We've heard those stories. And, and they laid their violin on the altar. And they thought that was, they didn't know what that meant. That could mean that you would never do it again. But they were obedient to God because God said, well, what do you have? And Lord, I'm gifted with this violin and, and I'm musical. And they laid their violin on the altar. And then God said to them, well, now pick that violin up again and play it for me. You see, God is going to look at us and he's going to say, what do you have? What do you have? What are you able to do? And then we're, he's going to want us to give it to him. And whatever we have, we give it to him. And then you leave it with God. Whatever, you have to leave it with God. God then 
is the one who does the multiplication. That is basically the groundwork for miracles. The problem is we tend to want miracles, but we don't want to do the groundwork. We don't want to admit that we have a need. We, we don't want to assess what we have. And then we definitely, when we know what we have, we don't want to give it to God. And so, my friends, these miracles happen because we're willing to give to God. I heard this story of a missionary, and I'll close with this. Mike will know who it is. This gentleman is a pastor, and he is a great man of faith. And the reason why he's such a great man of faith is because his parents, and especially his father, lived it out before him. Uh, His father was a missionary, and he told of stories that because they were doing mission work, there were times when the cupboards were bare. There were times when they had nothing to eat. And I think you need to understand that right now, that that is a reality for a lot of our mission work and missionaries. We just assume that everything is provided because we open a cupboard and it's there. And so he said that as a young boy, he remembered one day, it was Sunday morning, and the cupboards were bare, and Mama comes to Dad and says, Papa, what are we going to have? We have nothing for the children. I have nothing, not even a bit of rice or beans in the cupboard to be able to feed the children. We have nothing. And so the father said, just don't worry about it, Mama. It'll all work out. And she says, what are you talking about? We've got hungry children, and we need to feed them, and there's nothing there. So what are we going to do? And so he says to her, okay, I want you to set the table. Now you imagine, in that situation, the wife, you want me to do what? I want you to set the table. Set set it for Sunday lunch, the way you always do for Sunday lunch. Sunday lunch is always special. You set the table for Sunday lunch. Put out the best. I want you to set the table for Sunday lunch. And he's saying, and she's saying, you've got to be crazy. This is crazy. And so she's muttering as she's putting out all the place settings, and she's setting the table. So now it's getting close to lunchtime, and Papa says, okay, kids, let's all sit at the table for Sunday lunch. So they're all rowling the father. What are you talking about? Mom told us we have no food. Now you're rubbing it in, uh, Dad. You want us to sit at the table to empty plates. The pots aren't on. There's nothing. The cupboards are bare, Dad. What are you making us do? The father says, no, we're going to sit at the table. And so he made them all sit at the table. He made them hold hands, and he said, okay, now we're going to give thanks. Thanks for what? (laughs) We're going to thank God for the food. We're going to bless it, and we're going to thank God for it. And and he said, you know, he was a teenager at the time. Well, dad's lost it. Like, there's no food. There's nothing in the pots. There's nothing on the plate. Now, you know teenage boys, how they like to eat. And he says, dad, you're, you're losing it. This is crazy. So even begrudgingly, they took hands. And the father led them through a prayer of thanksgiving and blessing upon the food. You know what happened. As they're still sitting at the table, somebody knocks at the door. And he says, Mama, you go to the door. And as she went to the door, there was a couple from uh, the church that knew them that God had put on their hearts that morning. I wonder about the missionary and his family. I think the Lord is telling us to go buy them some groceries. And so he came to the door, husband and wife, and gave this family groceries, and they were able to cook and have a wonderful meal. That pastor today is a dear friend of ours, and if you want to meet a person of faith, he's a man of faith. 
because he sees that little is much when God is in it. God is asking us to do our part, and then we've got to leave the rest with him. As we sing this closing song, I'm going to challenge you today. If you want to come and just say, Lord, here I am. (laughs) I don't know how you could use me, but here I am. Maybe you want to say, Lord, I have limited resources. I don't have a whole lot, but would you take what I have and do something with this today? And some of you are needing a miracle. Well, the Lord has already given us the steps to that miracle. Admit your need. Assess what you have and give it to Jesus. I encourage you to come today as we sing this closing song.